With this past November's election, all of a sudden in America, it's a strange time for science and for journalism. Science is part of the policy process in our government. And so we need to have everyone informed on the issues at hand and what things our governmental representatives are going to be making decisions about. On this episode of The Conjectural, an interview with Dr. Kiki Sanford, host of This Week in Science. I'm Robert Frederick. I'm Dr. Kiki Sanford, and I am a science translator, neurophysiology trained scientist who moved into science communications. Before we get to the interview, Dr. Kiki, or Kirsten, as she first introduced herself to me, we've known one another for years. In the early days of having GPS on smartphones, She patiently explained as she drove us one time around San Diego that my job as navigator wasn't to try to get us to follow the blue blinking dot on her smartphone's map, but that we were the blue blinking dot, and I was supposed to figure out how to get us to our destination by looking where the blue dot was on the map. Oops. Years later, on my front porch, when I lived in Washington, D.C., We listened together for the city's rats in Foggy Bottom as they came out at twilight, scurrying beneath the leafy summer ivy. During these times, we've always had intense, usually long conversations, and often about science journalism. These conversations have always been in person, though, when we've both been at the same scientific or science writing conference. So this conversation is different. It's still intense, still about science journalism, which we've both been thinking about a lot since the November election, given our president-elect's view on science. But for us, compared to most of our conversations, this conversation is extremely short, and even shorter since I edited it way, way down. We also talked on Skype, audio only, which is fitting since we both started out in radio just listening for the voice. Now, since our shows are geared towards different audiences, I started out with a few questions that I already know the answer to in order to frame the interview and to introduce you to Dr. Kiki if you don't already know her and her show. For example, I started by asking her about her show. Here's the interview. This Week in Science is a weekly online program that discusses current events in science news. So um, I usually bring stories related to the brain, behavior, space, physics. My co-hosts bring stories that have caught their fancy. So over an hour to an hour and a half, we discuss all sorts of stories running through various different areas of the sciences. And we also try and bring interviews as well to get experts to talk about things that we find interesting. So this show has been on for how many so years? So this, uh, this Week in Science has been on, technically, it's been around for about 16 years. We started at UC Davis around the year 2000, and so it started as a college radio show, and then we evolved with the evolving technology, and we started just putting MP3s on our website in the early 2000s, and then created an RSS feed of our own And then in 2005, when iTunes created its podcast uh, directory, 
we got into the podcast directory there and everything else is history. We just keep going and going. And now we're on YouTube and SoundCloud and we're, we're just everywhere. <laughs> and there was even some television. You still do live shows and live events, chat rooms. You're pretty yeah. much keeping on top of everything the internet has to offer. Exactly. So, um, you know, the way that we're doing the show now is our initial broadcast is live on Wednesday evenings at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And we use YouTube Live and Google Plus Hangouts on Air. They're connected. And so it's a live video program and we have a live chat room where we can interact with our audience as the show is going forward. And then we take that, the video is automatically archived on our YouTube channel. And then I'm able to take the audio from the show and that becomes our podcast. Over all that time, all those media formats, how have you changed the format of how you tell science stories? Uh, the format... I don't think that we have changed at I mean, all. You have interviews, you have yeah, people talking to one another. Was has it always been a two person or a three person no, show? So it's so it's always been a two to three person show. It started out with a guy named Ted Dunning when we started it at UC Davis and it was the two of us bringing the stories that we enjoyed and thought were interesting from the previous week and kind of, you know, going, okay, this is what's really exciting. And then describing it to each other and then talking about it. And that is the basis of the format that we still have, where we are telling our friends about these things that we find interesting, you know, started out with the hosts hanging out together, drinking beer. And so we would just hang out and drink beer and tell each other interesting things and just have conversations about cool science. Oh, do you know this? I read this thing. Do you hear this? Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And we would have such fun doing that. And one day we were like, oh, you know, we should be on the radio. <laughs> that's how it got started. Okay. <laughs> and, Did and you have beer it... with you? <laughs> well, it was eight o'clock in the morning when our, uh, no. our time slot. So we had coffee. <laughs> It was, it, we, we, we gave up the beer and started drinking coffee instead, but the idea has been the same. It's the enthusiasm for discovery and the curiosity about the world and also that excitement about sharing it with other people. And, 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 and then we also started in radio and that's still the format that we follow, you know, it's radio and that's the podcast format. And so even though we're now doing the show in video and we can screen share and show pictures and stuff, really, this is a show that you listen to. How would you describe the science storytelling itself? Is it news, opinion, sometimes a mixture of both? What is it? Well, in telling the stories, we try to describe the stories as we understand them to begin with. So, you know, what's the interesting point? How did it work? And then opinion. And then we all kind of talk about it and go, well, you know, I'm thinking about it from this perspective, or I'm coming at it from this framework. And once each of us has the understanding of the story, having that conversation that does definitely involve opinion. And so like Justin, we call our opinionologist because that <laughs> he always seems to have an opinion. Okay. Not that he's a <laughs> studier of opinions, but that he always has one. <laughs> he always has one. Yes, exactly. And I know that you each have your specialties of interest and, and even your scientific specialties, but of all the science research out there, 
how do you decide what to cover, what to talk about? Is this just what really catches your fancy, what interests you the most? Yeah, I mean, I go through several different news sources and figure out the things that I think are really interesting to me and that are going to be interesting also to my audience. Who would you say your audience is? I think our audience are uh, people who are interested individuals. They definitely are technology savvy. We have more men listening to the show than women, according to YouTube and the various audience surveys that we've done. I like to think of our audience as kind of the comedy central demographic, where there are people who are educated or interested in becoming more educated, self-educating themselves using the internet, but also who like to be entertained, who like to laugh and have a good time while they're learning. Now, you mentioned this format you try and stay with uh, within the audio realm. Are there ones that you just say, you know what, this science topic or story is, I have to not do it because I just couldn't talk about it. I mean, are there those kinds of stories that come up too? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, as somebody who, you know, I moved from being a specialist in neuroscience to being this science generalist, there are definitely stories that I sometimes just can't wrap my head around completely before showtime. And so those stories, I just have to say, no, I can't do this story this week. Even though I know it's interesting, I'm not going to be able to do it justice without some other materials to be able to make it work. Or, you know, this is better explained by somebody who does this research. And so sometimes that's when I take it, uh, you know, get inspired to call somebody up or send an email and say, hey, would you like to be a guest on our show? And so it'll bring guests into the show to help us really get at how things work that we don't understand that well. So it's, you know, like I said, the show is really driven by our curiosity. So is there some coaching then that you do for your guests so that they are also entertaining to your audience? No. I mean, we tell them that, I mean, I, I definitely tell them that we have a general audience, that our audience is not made up of scientists primarily. There are scientists that listen, but they're not going to be, you know, the specialists probably in this one particular area. So I explain that we like to have fun and that it's going to be a conversation and that all of the hosts, all three of us might be asking questions during the conversation and that, you know, we might also be taking questions from the chat room. And so you know, I do give that information to the people who are on the show so that they kind of know who they're talking to, but I don't tell them you need to be funny. <laughs> you know, there's no like, hey, these are the kind of jokes that you can tell. Right. It's or puns <laughs> or analogies or, yeah, right. okay. Do you have a societal aim also in mind? I mean, you say to talk about the stories that you're really interested in, to be entertaining, but you do close out your show with a song that's pretty descriptive about what you're up to. But I've done the calculations <laughs> and I've got a plan. If you listen to the science, you may just yet understand that we're not trying to threaten your philosophy. We're just trying to save the world from jeopardy. Jeopardy, jeopardy. And this week <laughs> We're lucky that we've had some great submissions from listeners who are musicians who have given us music, which is really awesome. And we get to use it on the show. So the Gifted Apes created our closing song 
our closing theme music, which does go into kind of a, a broad spectrum, humorous, taken, you know, tongue in cheek, not exactly accurate, but a general idea of what our goals are. And so I guess to put it together, my goal is to entertain people, to inform people, and to help inspire curiosity in more people. I feel like I'm successful in doing what I do. If somebody takes one of our stories or something that they heard in the show and takes it away with them and uses it as a seed for further inquiry or even takes it away and uses it as a seed for conversation with people that they know. And so by that, it's expanding the reach of this information and, and getting more people exposed to it. With all the people now who doubt scientific results, including our president-elect. <laughs> Don't make me cry. <laughs> is that prompting you to double down and work harder, be more determined? Or are you considering changing your show in some way, appealing to a broader audience or more specific targeted audience, anything like that? Well, I'm always trying to reach as broad an audience as possible. You know, some aspects of communication that I really try to do regardless, one, one in particular is to not talk down to people and then also to not insult people. So sometimes my emotions get the best of me and it is a live show and I do say things that I regret afterward sometimes. But when I'm talking about things, say homeopathy or climate change science or creationist beliefs, I try not to approach things from the aspect of I'm right, I know all the information, and if you believe, you know, if you're in denial about something or if you're, you know, I try not to use the word denialist because that's immediately insulting people. And for the broad majority of topics, people are in the middle and undecided or just could go either way on things that they hear. And most often people are persuaded by their friends and their family. And so I try to be a friend to everybody who's listening. Um, and I'm going to try to do that even more now. But in addition, I am going to try and get people to do things. Something that's very important to me is getting more people involved in the political process. And since we began doing twists, we have had people complain about us talking about policy issues. And this is something that for years we've been pushing past saying, no, science is part of the policy process in our government. And so we need to have everyone informed on the issues at hand and what things our governmental representatives are going to be making decisions about. And so I really am going to work to continue to talk about controversial policy topics so that people are informed. And I will tell people to call their representatives. And I'm going to use the platform that we have to at least try and energize people, not to tell them what direction they need to make choices in, you know, or what they need to tell their representative once they make that call, but to try and energize people to act, just to do something in the first place. Tell me then what your thoughts are about doubt. 
and how there is doubt inherent in science. And so many people get the impression that, you know, scientists are always going to be doubting even their own results about things. <laughs> scientists pretty much do doubt their results about things. And that's good. That's one of the best parts of science. And this is something that we continue to try and use educationally in the show, which is those stories where somebody comes out with a press release and is so firm about a result. And then a few weeks later, another study comes out or a retraction comes out, something that negates the first result in a particular way. We'd like to follow these stories over time to try and teach people about the scientific process. But this is a process that takes place over long periods of time in which there is doubt. But over time, you have the, I guess, multiplicative property of all the studies that come together, the combined action of all the studies that give us more and more confidence in certain results. And that we should always doubt any one particular study that comes out. We should always doubt anyone who says, I have the answer, if it's just one person. But when lots of people start coming together, when lots of studies start pushing in the same direction, that's when you can start to have confidence. So do you think we might be doing ourselves a disservice then in talking about science in a you know, media to the public type of way before we've got lots of scientific studies? Well, you know, I think there's uh, the media, quote unquote, right. has often, <laughs> you know, journalists come at the idea of stories with you have to present all sides of an issue, right? Because journalism in itself is supposed to be unbiased. And so it does it a disservice when we're talking about like one study, and not talking about the broader picture in which that study takes place. So it, I think, you know, for the 24-hour news generating cycle, it's, you know, exciting, you know, get people excited about this cool view of a new planet in a distant galaxy. Okay, you can just tell that story, right? That's fine. You don't need multiple perspectives on it. But when you're getting into journalism, when you're getting into really discussing issues, then we need to really talk from all different angles. We need to bring the evidence to bear. We need to talk about the history of how we got to a certain place. Yeah, I mean, there. I think it's important to talk about as much of it as possible. I mean, I don't know. I think people have short attention spans, but at the same time, you know, we just have to tell the stories as they are. Yeah, this is always a bit of a frustration. And in my show, we tend to talk a lot about how everything is conjectural in some way or another, right? Hence the name of the show. Mm -hmm. But to the extent, though, that the message that gets out sometimes is, you know, as with health reporting, right? Coffee, to, mm -hmm. to take a recent right. example, coffee is good for you. Coffee is bad for you. Now coffee <laughs> is good for you. Now it's bad for you. Well, which is it, you know? And the th same thing with right. eggs or butter right. or fat or sugar or whatever it might be. Gluten. Uh, gluten, <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's not forget gluten. My goodness, how, how dare yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with everything that involves 
trying to help people to make the best decisions for their lives and for their families. The reporting that's done is very often it's based on one study, but what needs to be discussed more often is this is the best available information at this time. People have been doing studies on this for X number of years and the technology has advanced or we finally did a study where we had, you know, an amazing sample size of 30,000 individuals that gave us a really good view where the statistics worked very well. But yeah, this is, it's always a hard issue. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're running, like I said, we're running up against the, just telling the story, like you said, coffee's great for you today versus telling the historical story of, yeah, we, we used to think it was bad, but because of this new study, now we can think it might be good for you. There's perspective. Perspective is hugely important. I wonder why we're not willing to say, we, we don't know. Uh, I mean, is it, is it just this effort to, to need to, to say something to sell or headlines, headline, headline, exactly, headline. Right? Yeah. Scientists is. still it's, confused it's about whether coffee is good or bad for you. You know, when scientific results are confirmatory, you know, that that's not really news. It just doesn't sort of fit with a news framework. Well, yeah, I mean, the news is sensational and that's when it's always going to be, you know, so there's this distraction aspect to the news cycle. And so in science reporting, it's, you know, what are the distracting sensational things in the sciences? You know, what are the titillating ideas that are going to get people, you know, laughing or joking about something as opposed to really thinking about how things work? Because there really isn't a way then to say, you know, this is how you ought to think about it, right? It could be not thought about that way in another year or another 10 years or whatever it is. We just kind of have to go with what's best right now. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I mean, we, we're all people and none of us knows the future. You know, we can prognosticate and, you know, every year on Twists, we have a show where we, it's our big prediction show. And we were like, this is what's going to happen this year. But at the same time, we're, we always look back at the previous year and we go, okay, what did we get right? And what did we get wrong? Because we were really just guessing. <laughs> and sometimes we just made things up. So that was fun. <laughs> Let's do it again next year. But no scientist, there's no crystal ball and there's no absolute. And like you said earlier, we're talking about doubt. There are no absolutes in the universe. Dr. Kiki Sanford, thank you very much. Thank you. Dr. Kiki Sanford is the host of This Week in Science. You've been listening to The Conjectural, a show that's running an experiment. The data for this experiment, your feedback to theconjectural.com, where you can also give the support that makes this show happen, download a transcript, and subscribe. I'm Robert Frederick. Follow me on Twitter at The Conjectural. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.